What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we're going to go through my week nine USFL power rankings. Again, we're the last couple of weeks, the home stretch of the season. And we're going to speak with New Jersey running back Darius Victor, who really was outstanding in his interview with me and I'm telling you this as a person that knew something about him and knew something about his story and I'm really interested and can't wait for you to hear what he had to say about just how he got to the USFL fascinating man fascinating team and really on one of the better teams in all of the USFL and I think that's a great place to segue into well our conversation with Darius Victor I'm pleased to be joined by New Jersey Generals running back, Darius Victor. Darius, how you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. The first thing I want to make reference to, though, is the shirt, because the shirt is banging. I really love the shirt. So I need you to tell the folks what the shirt says and the story that inspired the short. Shirt. Thick thighs save lives, man. Thick thighs save lives on and off the field. My linemen out there. They have thick thighs uh, blocking for me. Uh, I have thick thighs. Guys are trying to tackle me. They're bouncing off of me. So it's saving lives out there, getting yards and uh, getting to the end zone. Came about um, on the on the sideline pregame. Uh, Brock, the uh, uh, the sideline reporter, he asked me, say, hey, Vic, uh, you ever measured your thighs? And I was like, no. He was like, if I grab if I grab the tape measure, would you would you let me measure? I was like. Sure. I mean, I'm curious to know what, what my thighs are. It's about 30 inches. And then from there, it was a uh, halftime uh, game delay because of the rain. And then next thing you know, my thighs are going viral. But that's how that started. Hey, man, we were looking for ways to really get to know just how strong you were. And that's one way of doing it. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, dog, but like my waist is smaller than your thighs. So, like, what are you squatting over there? Uh, I've been squatted. I have been a long time, but the last time I squatted heavy, I did 605 in college pretty easy. Okay, I'm five foot five, Darius five foot six. He outweighs me by about a hundred pounds. And I'm just trying to give people a full visual of squatting 605 pounds. Now, the joke would be you ain't got that far to go because they make that joke to me as well. You know what I mean? I, it's, it feels like it gets under your skin the way it gets under my skin. Coach, Coach Pitt, shout out to my strength conditioning coach in, in college. Coach Pitt would cheer you on. Go, go. You you go all the way up, go down, and then he'll tell you you're not no, you're not low enough. So he makes sure you break 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 parallel for sure. So it definitely counted and you gotta get down there to get up, especially with that much weight. But to calves. That's what they would tell me. But to calves. And I'd be like, I man, I guess this is what we're doing now. Yeah. I also am doing my research for the show, right? You go to Towson, but the reason I bring it up this way is you had locks. I used to have locks. Where'd your locks go? I cut them off. Uh, me and a couple of my brothers cut them off because for Mother's Day, our mothers really didn't like them. So we did it as a Mother's Day, Mother's Day thing. Um, but I tell people all the time, I was the only guy to go from dreads to a bald head within a year by choice. So it's crazy. It is. Like, that's that's a tremendously big jump. As you can see, I, I try to keep as much of my hair as I could while cutting them off. So to go from locks to a bald head i mean look you probably running what two tenths off 40 times something like that that's how it feels i wish that that'd be nice oh man so 
we got to see you guys play at the legendary Legion Field uh, for the first time. Now, I'd been out there for some practices, but it was something else entirely for me to see you all playing at the Iron Bowl. So what was it like for you to play at Legion Field? It was a great, great, great experience just having that, 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 that under my belt now saying I played at the historic Legion field. I scored a touchdown in there with so many other greats before. So I was just trying to soak it all in. And I was telling um, one of the the media people um, before the game, you know, this is a legendary field. Let's, let's try to create, create some more history on here. So just having that opportunity was, was a blessing. And uh, I love it. It was just looking around the big stadium and just thinking about all the history, man. It, it felt really good. I wonder if Coach Riley told you any of his history oh, having played there at Tennessee, Auburn, while he was oh, at abso- Alabama. Absolutely. He joked around and said, my locker's still there. Of course, his locker wasn't there. But <laughs> yeah, he's been there a long, 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 long time, long time before I was even born. So, yeah, Coach Riley, he's that's his home. He's been a couple games there. I have been really floored by just how cool Coach Riley has turned out to be. And I don't mean to say that I didn't expect him to be cool. It's just his way of relating to people has yeah. really been touching to me. I wonder if you could tell us a story about him relating to you as head coach for the New Jersey Generals. He's just so welcoming. Like, you want to play for him. I tell, tell people all the time, I'll run through the wall for him. Like, he's just the guy that you want to be good for. You want to do whatever he says that, you know, because he has so much wisdom, so much experience, and he's just a great guy, like, Literally, he's just a great person. There's no way other way, not just a great coach, but he's literally just a great person. So just having that 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 relationship between, you know, player coaches, great player coach, we just want to buy it and do all we can for him just to even just get him a win. We do it all just just to, just to make him a successful coach. But great guy. I mean, it's a blessing to play for him. Uh, one of the best coaches I ever had in my life. That's high praise, right, in that we've had many coaches throughout our lives, some of them for football, some of them for not. I put it this way, though. I expected Coach Riley to run not necessarily a pass-happy offense, but an offense that certainly featured the quarterback. And one of the first things he said before the season began was, I'd be shocked if we don't run the ball well. And I'll be doggone if that's not one of the things that y'all do well with you being more or less the the pound-the-rock dude in the backfield. And I was struck by this quote that you gave our Eric Williams, which is, hey, uh, they call me box boy. That's my box. I like yeah. to do it in the box. Tell me why you like running between the tackles, man. Well, I always joke. I've been saying that for years since high school. Nothing else matters but the box, you know. As an offense, the biggest thing, number one thing, is you want to score points, you know. Um, if you score more than another team, you win. So nothing else matters but the box. And I take pride in being a box boy and a box boy CEO. So my main job out there, every drive, is just trying to score. If, if we don't get any points from the drive, we didn't do our job. So I've been scoring – since I was eight and uh, like I played in 41 college games scoring for 41 touchdowns. I just take pride in, you know, scoring touchdowns because I know that that's my, my number one job at the end of the day when we go out there as an offense and me, by me scoring touchdowns, helping my team, help my offense out. So that's my number one priority is just getting in the box and nothing else matters but the box. Well, y'all have certainly been very good at that. You've scored nine rushing TDs in eight games but you also are really putting people on game with the short yardage back, which we haven't seen a whole bunch of in recent years, specifically college and professional football because of the way that the game has been played. What does it say that the mentality that Coach Riley wants this offense to have is, hey, if it's short yardage, 
we're going to get the ball to Darius. We're going to go get this first down. We're going to go get this touchdown. Coach, Coach Riley always talks about breaking the will of the other team could happen in that first five minutes or that last minute of the game, last second of the game. So it's, it's a big identity of us to break the will of the defense. Um, so in that, that those sort of yard situations um, take a big factor, just breaking another team's will, knowing that they got to stop us from getting a yard or whatever the case may be, and we still get it. It's just to, it's just to feast them uh, mentally, physically. So um, I take pride in, you know, being the guy that, Everyone knows that's getting the ball, but they they still can't stop it. So uh, I embrace it, and I I want the ball every time. You know, sometimes good good to call a little play action and stuff like that. But as long as you get that first down, that's all that matters, man. So I take pride in that, and uh, just being a complete back as well. You know, catching the ball at the backfield. You know, running between tackles outside the outside the tackles, but just just being successful in every every um run that I get, and making sure the first person doesn't tackle me. I've spent a lot of time talking about the two quarterback system that was Luis Perez and DeAndre Johnson, but not enough time talking about how you and Trey Williams share the rock in the backfield. And here the last three, four weeks, we've seen a lot of Cavante Turpin turning up in the run game as well. How do you guys continue to share and share alike and be so enthusiastic for each other's success? I think because we both are capable and we know that, you know, that I know that if I close my eyes and, Trey's called to run. I know he's successful. I know he could do it, you know, and vice versa. And we just have that, that brotherly collect connection. We live together, actually. He's one of my roommates. So we hang out all the time. Um, he expects a lot out of me, vice versa. We hold each other accountable in the meeting room, make sure we don't have no misassignments, stuff like that. So just that common bond and just having that, that running back swag keeps us together. And uh, we, we both drive each other to be the best running backs we can. You have a great way of demonstrating a familial bond with the people you meet. And I'm going to put myself in there as well as I was running around uh, the hotel trying to find Coach Riley. And you were one of the folks like, hey, man, if you, you check the meeting room, he might be there. And you didn't know me from Adam. I say that to say you have this kinship with Trey Williams, but you also come from a large family. Uh, can you tell us a bit about where you grew up and how you grew up? I uh, came from four brothers, two sisters, siblings, uh, born in Africa. The refugee camp uh, Ivory Coast. I'm Liberian. Uh, came over here when I was five. So, just that. I my biggest thing is you know just treating us how you want to be treated. If I was lost or didn't know where to go, I would hope someone would point me in the right direction too. So I just that's how I live my life. Just treating others how I want to be treated. Um, came over here when I was five. In America. Um, lived in a rough neighborhood. Parents were always working. You know, trying to support support us, and I and I thank them dearly for that. Uh, I was raised. I was a middle. I'm a middle child. So. I've seen I've seen what my older siblings did and try to do correct their from their mistakes and you know, be the role model for my younger siblings. So um, that was a, a nice place for me in, in the family. So I, I I always joke around and tell everyone I'm the I'm the Facebook child because you know I did everything right because because I was in the middle and saw you know what worked and what didn't. But um, come from a a, a great family at uh, a great family um, and I just try to make them proud in every every way. So. Um, I'm, I'm proud of them, and uh, I take pride in representing the victor. I would be remiss if I did not inform the audience that uh, late and early 90s, late 80s and early 90s, Liberia faced a civil war. His parents and he fled to the Ivory Coast. Shout out DDA Drogba. But also where the president now is George Wea, which I think is interesting because Timothy Wea plays for the United States men's national team. Uh, and I think that's just an outstanding story. But you 
immigrate to the United States. You, you set up shop in Manassas, Virginia. How do you come to fall in love with football? Um, my older brother, Kevin. So like I told you, my parents were always working and he was just my destiny babysitter by, by default. So everywhere he went, I had to go. And, and it was a competition with everything. If he said he liked red, I liked blue. Um, I remember I tell people the story all the time. His favorite team growing up was, um, the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens. And 2000, the first time I can remember, I was like, you know what? My favorite team was the Giants. And people like, why are you a Giants fan? Because they played the Ravens. Uh, uh, and that's what literally, and I, ever since then, I, was, I grew up a Giants fan. But I started playing football um, because of him. He was pretty good. And I was going to be better than him. He was, quote, unquote, uh, a Boys and Girls Club legend. And I was like, I'm better than you. I'm going to be better than you. So I started playing and eventually ended up being better than him. So I take pride in that. Um, my brother, Kevin, though, he did um, pass away in 2011. He got shot and killed um, down the street from my house. So uh, I try to live in his light and run tough and stuff like that, how he would want me to, 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 to run. Because I remember when I was little, I, I tell people stories all the time. I was, was one of those kids, like, I would run a long touchdown or something, and it was a flag on the play. And I'll come back to the huddle crying and moping, like, I don't want to play no more. And Kevin used to be the first one, like, Just be quiet, man. Like, do it again. Like it made me tough, and I like I keep that same toughness. Like every time I feel down or you know don't want to do it, this that I hear his voice like stop it, knock it, you know get get yourself together, and I and I, I just embrace it, and I try to live life the way he would want me to. First, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, it's tough, even 11 years on. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank uh, you. I also am very very enthusiastic about wanting to live up to the expectations that are set by our siblings, particularly our older siblings. And I've got to feel like you, you made a bunch of people proud when you ended up at Towson. How did you end up at Towson University playing football? Um, the great, so a lot of things were going on with my family, with my brother passing, um, shoot, my my house apartment got caught on fire, this, that. Towson was like 45 minutes away. It was a great team. They had a great, went for a visit. It was a great family atmosphere and I value family the most. And I was like, you know what? not too far away from my actual family, this, this new family environment, coaches, the players. And I fit right in. It fit my 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 running style as well. They had a, a running back shout out to my big bro, Terrence West, one of the greatest college running backs of all time. And uh, people were like, you're crazy. You're going to go there. They already have a running back. You're never going to play. But I've always told people, like, you know, I, I I know God blessed me with the abilities and the rest is up to me. So as long as I'm doing what I, what I need to do in the classroom, you know, working out this, that, everything else will figure itself out. So – I chose that opportunity and I wanted to change it for the world. I love Towson. I love my teammates. I love Terrence. I just, it's just everything worked out, you know, perfect. So um, shout out to Towson University. Uh, glad uh, they were there for me and gave me the opportunity to, you know, get an education for free and stuff like that. So shout out to Towson, Coach Ambrose. No, it's not a small thing, right? Uh, especially yeah. knowing how much it costs to go to college today. It's yeah. not a small thing. But you also are making good in that you're a professional football player. You've been a professional football player for years. Now that you know that you're North Division champs, you're going to be playing in the playoffs in Canton, Ohio. It's coming into focus just what y'all have been able to accomplish as 7-1 team. But let's take it back to February, even January, when this opportunity was really being presented to you. Why did you want the opportunity to play in the United States Football League? I love football. I tell people all the time, if I could play football for free and you paid my bills and gave me some food, I would. I just, I love the game. So, and I missed it um, from playing the XFL and that being shut down because of COVID and being without 
football for about a year or two, it was just like when I heard the opportunity was coming, I was like, I need to play in this. I need to play in this. So, um, and I'm fortunate for the opportunity. Uh, I didn't think I was, I thought it was going to happen, but then a couple of times I was like, oh man, I'm not going to get picked up this, that, and it made me sad again, but I'm just glad that I actually got the opportunity and I'm trying to make the most of it every day, man. So very grateful for it. And, uh, and I appreciate you know, the coaching staff for trusting me and giving me the platform. Two weeks left in the regular season, and, and then you're on to Canton. Hopefully, you make it through the first weekend. You make it to the July 4th weekend. Play for the inaugural USFL Championship. Uh, my thanks to you, Darius Victor, for joining us here on the number one ranked show. Tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your team. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. My thanks once again to Darius Victor for joining us here on the number one rank show. As I said, fascinating cat, really interesting story comes from what I can only assume is an extremely talented and well-respected family. And I am very, very interested in watching how he and the generals make it and go into these inaugural USFL playoffs. It's a great way to start talking about my week nine power rankings. Now, Number one on the list, Birmingham retains the top spot. Stallions won a 10-9 game against the New Orleans Breakers on Saturday at Legion Field. They look like they tried to give it away a couple times. I'm not going to be shy about it, man. This team has won every game it has played, but the last couple of weeks in particular has looked a little less stable. Some of that has to do with injuries. Now, Victor Bolden was out. Jeff Thomas was out. There's two of your better wide receivers and punt returners out of the game. So Marlon Williams came back into the game after missing the last game due to injury and had really, what was it? Seven catches for 109 yards, 12 targets from J.M.R. Smith, who showed for the first time since week one that he has a great ability to run with the football. So if you're going to play man, you're going to turn your back. He can take off and run on you. That said, they played their worst fourth quarter that they played all season. That is usually the quarter when the Stallions are strongest. This is a team that has gotten stronger as the game goes on. Sometimes that phrase vexes me because I'm going, no, everybody's getting weaker. It's just about your stamina. But in their particular case, you could always see how they find a way to bring it together. And usually that means that the other team gives them a bit of help. But, hey, push came to shove. Brandon Aubrey made a kick. And then you had a game-sealing interception to seal the victory for the Stallions, who will head into Week 9 looking to go 9-0. and 10-0. They are the South Division champs. They are going to be the number one seed in the USFL playoffs, but still a bunch that I'm sure that they want to clean up. That said, John Chavis has been doing an outstanding job with that defense. Scooby Wright, Demarcus Gates out there just really body snatching. I'm excited to watch those dudes play football, and they have formed what I think is the best tandem at linebacker in the USFL. And number two, the New Jersey Generals. It's the one loss team, right? Seven and one, the only loss that they have suffered so far is in the opener against the Birmingham Stallions, where they look like they should have won that game. If it comes down to those two teams playing in the inaugural USFL championship game, I think we would all be enthusiastic about that. Generals, North Division is theirs. They've really rallied behind Luis Perez the last couple of weeks. He was 18 of 24 for 220 yards passing with a TD, no interception. Victor had 87 rush yards with three TDs in the 29 to 18 win. He leads the USFL in rushing TDs with nine. I, they're coming together, man. They got one of the better safeties in all of the sport in Shalom Luani. Like he's been doing outstanding. He's been a ball hawk. When the ball's in the air, you don't want him anywhere around. He's liable to come down with it. 
Another guy that's liable to come down with it is Philadelphia Stars cornerback Channing Stribling. He had another interception in their win to clinch a playoff spot in the North Division. Also, we saw perhaps the greatest game played all season by a quarterback in Case Cookus. Dude was 20 of 26 for 247 yards passing and had 118 yards rushing on the ground, including one 70-yard run marauding scamper. He was really rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, trying to get in that end zone. He said in the post-game press conference that that was the longest that he had ever had to run in college or in a professional football game. It was very exciting to watch them play. The Michigan Panthers tried to make a game of it into the second quarter, but then the Stars poured it on, scoring 46 points, which is the most that any team has scored in any game this season. The Stars were my dark horse to win the USFL championship before the season began, but that was also with Brian Scott as the quarterback. Case Cookies has stepped in, done an outstanding job as Bar- uh, Andrus is starting quarterback, and I expect them to really be a factor in the playoffs. It's going to be fascinating to see which one of those teams in the North can get into the USFL championship, the Stars or the Generals. Number four, the New Orleans Breakers. It's a team that just can't get out of its own way, right? I'm looking at Kyle Sloter, and if he doesn't throw three interceptions, they win that game going away. You know, they also got an outstanding turnover to open the game. Like they stopped Birmingham from getting into the end zone. They get a strip, a fumble, and a touchback. They give the ball back to the offense. But then you're talking about a game where we saw five field goals missed and six turnovers. If Taylor Bertolette, the kicker for the New Orleans Breakers, makes even one of the kicks that he misses, including the extra point, you're talking about the very least overtime, if not winning the game and solidifying themselves as having an advantage going into what I thought was going to be a playoff winning game for them. Now, Something needed to go right in week eight. They needed to win, and the uh, Tampa Bay Bandits needed to lose. Neither one of those things happened. That said, they still have an opportunity to punch the last ticket to the USFL playoffs with a win against Tampa Bay later this weekend. We'll see if they can come through and make that happen in the South Division, which has, at least from the top, looked pretty doggone decent. Number five there is the Tampa Bay Bandits. Uh, Jordan Tamu failed to pass for 100 yards, but without Clayton Thorson, Without Mark Thompson, without Isaiah Zuber, the Houston Gamblers just did not have the offensive firepower to compete. And that was another, well, it was a double-digit game, but just barely. And remember, one-score game in the USFL was nine points. They lost that game by 10. Now we're going to see the Bandits take on New Orleans Breakers team that really had their number the last time they played. The Breakers beat them 34-3. to It's the best that they had looked all season. We'll see if Jordan Tamu can find a way to put together his best game of the season, along with Kyle Sloter. I think those are the two better quarterbacks in the South Division, if not in the USFL, or not two of the three. I'm excited to see which one of those teams comes out on top. Tampa Bay would need to win and win out to get into the USFL playoffs, so that ought to be a game that everybody has circled on their calendar this weekend. Number six, I got the Michigan Panthers. It's a team that has been plagued by injuries and really as soon as we started to find an identity and run the football and playing outstanding run defense, they seemed to just fall apart at the quarterback position. They had since released number one overall pick, Shea Patterson. We saw Josh Love get a start, put them into an overtime game that they lost, and Paxton Lynch got the start this weekend. He played well, right? I, I thought it was the best that I've seen a Michigan Panthers quarterback play all year. That said, it's a Michigan Panthers quarterback, and anytime you got to play more than one quarterback throughout the year, it's never a good sign. But I expect them to compete the last couple of weeks. Jeff Fisher's team could just as easily be sitting at four and four as they are at one and seven. But 
They are at one and seven, and they're going to try to play spoiler the rest of the way. Number seven on the list, the Houston Gamblers. Again, Kevin Sumlin was out his starting quarterback without his running starting running back, one of the better running backs in the USFL, and without a game-breaking wide receiver. It's really difficult to summon an offense with that. That said, Chris Odom has turned into an absolute problem on that defense. He leads the league in sacks. If they could just put points on the board and then find a way to finish games, I hesitate to think what the gamblers might be capable of. And going into next year, this is certainly going to be some things that they want to improve, but also a bunch they could build on, not the least of which is Kevin Sumlin figuring out what he has to do to get his passing attack jump started because Sumlin is a dude for which we all know likes to throw the ball and has produced an odd 5,000 yard passer in college. I'm sure that he's going to be kicking himself trying to figure out what he needs to change at the professional level to get back to having those sort of high octane, high scoring offenses that we've come to know him for. And then at number eight, Pittsburgh Maulers, the only team to play four different starting quarterbacks this season. This week, they went with Roland Rivers, who is a former Harlan Hill Trophy Award winner, which means that we had a battle of two Harlan Hill Trophy Award winners, and he and Luis Perez. That is the FCS's MVP at Heisman Trophy, if you will. He played just fine, just not good enough to win. Kirby Wilson is going to take a lot from this season, I'm sure, not the least of which is just what he needs to change about his program and how he needs to get them on the good foot when it comes to play calling and really kind of being more dynamic with the offense. But they ran the ball really well. They played outstanding defense, specifically against the run. I was very encouraged to see what the defense was capable of given half an opportunity. I mean, Jaron Horton was calling one heck of a season this year and impressed me in a number of different games. They have the tools to be good, but that's kind of what it is for all of these teams. They all have the teams, uh, the tools to be good. And it's about what have you been able to do in these close game situations. So I'm sure that there's a bunch that they would like to change from this season, but certainly going to try to get a couple of wins to go out this season and see what they can do going into next season. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of our USFL Spotlight. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Catherine Donnelly, our director, John Marcus, our lead screening, Rachel Cohen, our associate producer, Tyler Wojak, our social media maven, Javion Duncan, and I am your host, RJ Young. We will see y'all in a couple of days. Deuces.